Thanks for tuning in to the Seattle Limudcast. I'm Tamar Libicki. In today's episode, I interview Limud Seattle 2019 presenter Linda Jo Greenberg. Linda Jo talks about her method for tackling the daunting process of preparing for Passover. One way she recommends of reducing stress is to remember the cleaning is just to remove chametz. If you feel overwhelmed, allow yourself to take extraneous tasks off your to-do list. You have to remember that chametz is not an airborne virus. Why do we clean on Passover? What's the source? What are the traditions that have built up over the years? It's actually like so many things. The actual commandment is is very simple. The commandment says that you shouldn't have any chametz in your possession in your home. That sounds easy, right? You just take the chametz and and you know move it out. However, like so many other things, there are fences built around it. So it's not just that you shouldn't have any chametz in your cabinet, but you want to make sure there's no traces of chametz on your counters or in the refrigerator or in corners anywhere. The only way to be sure of that is to really clean. You can't just put it all in boxes. You have to really you have to really clean. And when you think about flour and breadcrumbs and how small they are, it means that people have a great opportunity to get really extreme about the cleaning. I was wondering what Passover means to you, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about any childhood memories you have, especially about the cleaning. And then I was also curious how your practice changed once you became the responsible adult and you had to start doing the cleaning yourself. My Passover memories as a child actually have nothing to do with cleaning because my parents did not clean. They're all around Seder. Our family had huge seders every year. Um, I can still picture um, I'm the youngest in my generation, and I can picture when I was the littlest kid and crawling under the table. And at my aunt's house, there were probably 50 or 60 people there. And when we separated families and my parents started being the ones to host, Mom would say we're going to cap it at 20, and we'd wind up at 35. And um, and it was really important. And I, my parents were not very observant of a lot of things in Judaism, but Seder was critical to our family Jewish identity. And it was fun, and it was delicious. And like so many families, we had our you know inside family jokes. Um, and so it was always very special. Then I, you know, grew up and moved out on my own. And um, the first couple times I had to go to other people's seders was the weirdest thing to me. I was like, they were doing things differently. And they had their own weird customs. And it, it was just bizarre to me. So as soon as I felt able to host a seder, I was back in my comfort zone because I could go back and do my family's traditions. I probably started started really cleaning and doing all the rest of it when I was married to someone who was Orthodox. 
that was his practice, and he brought me into all of that and everything that it entailed. And even though it's a lot of work, because I love the idea of Passover and freedom and because I love the event of Seder, it never felt onerous or horrible. Now, that doesn't mean that it wasn't hard work. And, of course, there were times when I was tired and cranky and and usually tears at least once a year. But overall, I really didn't mind because it was cleaning was going to make the rest of it possible, the rest of the celebration possible. So I was wondering if you have any ideas why, even though your family in general wasn't observant, Passover held such a special place for them. It's a good question. I think because it was about the family getting together, I also think that although my mother, well, I was going to say she didn't get to pursue any kind of performance or theatrical or dramatic career, um, in reality she did because when I was growing up, she was in a dance group of, of other mothers and they used to perform at uh, grammar schools in the area, like for assemblies. She was always very creative and she was all, and she did like to express herself in, in those kind of performance ways. And that's part of what Seder is all about. You get to set the stage and you get to tell this grand story. And so I think it just kind of, it really played into her wheelhouse. Dad loved sitting in the chair at the end of the table and making it all happen. And um, the other thing they did, for as long as I can remember, we had non-Jewish people at our Seder. They always wanted to invite people dad was working with, people from mom's dance group, other people to share in the storytelling. And that was also very important to them. Not so much outreach, but, you know, these days we talk about having dialogue with people who are different from us. And I think that they valued that even 40 years ago when it wasn't as prevalent or as important as it seems now. So the reason why I'm interviewing you here is because you taught a session at Lee Mood about how to make your Passover easier. And it actually started as a booklet called Tips for an Easier Passover that you originally wrote in 1998. Um, so I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through that journey. Why did you initially write the booklet? Um, then why did you choose let's see, 20 years, 20 plus years later to uh, turn it into a Limud session. And what was its life cycle in between those two events? You mean what have I been doing with my life for the last 20 years? Sure. <laughs> I can summarize that. Um, so the idea for first writing it, I'm, I've always been a very organized person. I mean, from when I was a little kid, I make lists, I make plans. Um, I've just always been that person. It was a big part of my career when I was in the theater. That was what I did. So when I first started making Passover, you know, seriously in my own home, um, in an Orthodox setting, having Orthodox guests to whom it was really important that we do things right, it was very natural to me to start making lists. What's on the menu? What do I have to buy? Therefore, when do I have to shop? Okay, here are all the things I have to clean. I work for a living, so I better come up with a calendar and a schedule for when am I going to clean. And, oh, I can do these rooms first, and I have to do the kitchen last, but I have to do it soon enough to be ready to do all the cooking for the Seder. 
So it was just very natural to me to make all those notes. And then at the end of the holiday to make the notes of this is what I've packed. This is what I wish I had so I better buy it next year. This worked really well. This didn't. And so I started building up this notebook. So I have this big notebook with sections for each year. This is what I did this year. This is what I did a little differently next year. Oh, this is the year I bought different covers for my counters, that kind of thing. So my friends would see this, and they, especially the ones who were not quite so organized, and they would be really excited. Oh, I wish I had this. And they started encouraging me to share it. So it, I guess it was in 1998, um, Neshe Chabad, the women's organization of Chabad in my neighborhood, was looking to do a fundraiser. So I took, basically, I took my notebook and wrote it out in a way that could be shared with other people that wasn't quite so individual to what I did in my house. And went and made copies and spiral bound them and we sold them to raise some money. I don't remember if it was a successful fundraiser or not, but I do know that a lot of my friends bought it. And in the years after that, people would tell me, oh, this was really helpful and this was really good. And um, I had sent out a questionnaire to some of the women. And so there are the it's not 100 percent my ideas. There were some other suggestions people had. My very favorite one, I still remember a good friend of mine who doesn't live here anymore, who said, you have to remember that chametz is not an airborne virus. So when you're cleaning, yeah, you have to clean and you have to clean well, but maybe you don't have to pull the cabinets away from the wall and go back behind them because chametz doesn't do that. So that's how it all happened that time. And then um, and then the booklet just sat there, sat in my computer. I had, I had a couple copies left. I have mine that I've marked up and used over the years, and my notebook gets thicker and thicker because every year I still add sections to it. And then when Limud came to Seattle, and I got excited about Limud and hearing about it and talking to my friends about it, and I was like, well, could I— could I lead a session? One of the points of Limud is anyone can be a teacher, right? Well, what would I teach? Oh, I had this booklet once. So, so that's where the idea came from, was to take these organizational skills and this having this historical record keeping. I had that, and I thought, this is something that I can share with people, and maybe they can make use of it. So you mentioned the questionnaires that you sent out. I was wondering if you could speak a little more to that. Um, what kind of influence they had on the book or maybe some surprising ways of doing things or stories that you got back on those questionnaires? I actually didn't get a whole lot out of them. I sent them at the time, I think, to all the women who were in Neshechabad, which was probably maybe around 30 women. And when I think about the names that I credited in the book, I think I only got back like 10 or so. And there were, there were definitely some ideas in them that were helpful and that made it into the book. They were pretty small in terms of the grander organizational picture that I was looking at. And now, in order to, to do the session at Limud this year, I did a fair amount of rewriting. And in that rewriting, even more of them fell out. When I went to get ready for the session at Limud and I thought, oh, 
I'll just pull out my booklet and reread it and maybe dust off a few sections. And I found out that it was written 20 years ago. And it was written from a very different point of view. The audience that I had in mind was the orthodox young woman with three to six kids who was totally immersed in that life and really needed some help organizing, using organizing skills that are more in the outside world than in the home, at least 20 years ago. And then I thought, oh, it's the 21st century now. And there's a lot more blending than there used to be. I think even those women that I was aiming at then, many more of them live outside the house, read organizational books, use the internet. So a lot of those organizational things that I thought were unique and they'd never heard of, of course, they've all heard of them now. Maybe not applied them to Passover, but they've heard of them. I also realized that at Limud, my audience, I didn't know who was going to come to my session. It wasn't going to be all female. It wasn't going to be all orthodox. It wasn't, it was going to be the full range of Jewish interest and observance and experience. Um, And sure enough, that turned out to be true. There were people there who have made Seder for dozens of years and had some of their own stories and wisdom to share. And there were a couple people who were going to make their first Seder and make their first Passover and were scared out of their wits about how that was going to happen. And then everything in the middle. And also with all kinds of levels of observance. You know, there were people there who talked about what they do in terms of things that they buy or what dishes they use or don't use. And I know that there were some people who said things at that session that other people in the session would not have been comfortable with doing for themselves. What was great was because it was Limud, we had all of that. And there was actually, there was no spoken judgment about any of it. And that was great. And I'm sure that also led to people feeling more comfortable saying what they did or didn't do or asking some questions because there wasn't any judgment about it. Um, So you just referenced the fact that it was written in a different century. Um, I was wondering if there have, if you've noticed any new technologies coming out, new websites, apps, um, social media pages that you think can help someone with Passover. I'm sure there are a lot of those. I'm probably not the best resource for them because I don't use them. I like pen and paper because I am a product of that previous century. So I got my notebook out for this year, and I got some pages, punched holes in them, and, you know, made my usual categories. Having said that, of course, there are all kinds of things that, you know, modern technologies that will work for people. You know, all the different ways that you can make and save shopping lists, all the different ways that you can track tasks, that you can create calendars. Passover is different because there's so many extra things you have to do. And because it's got that inexorable deadline, Seder starts and you got to be ready. So those things are true, but the reality is that most of us have to keep track of things we have to do. We have to maintain calendars. We have to plan, how am I going to be ready for this event that's happening two weeks from now? And, you know, whatever we have to do personally to work backwards with all those steps. 
So it means that whatever apps people are using for all of that, it's really easy to just extend to Passover. A lot of what the booklet is about isn't so much about a to-do list, and it's not about how to clean your stove because there's lots of sources that will tell you how to clean your stove. But what I've tried to do in this is walk through the process and suggest some questions to ask yourself that will lead to decisions that could make Passover easier for you. I mean, one of the simplest ones is, you know, from the very beginning, when it gets to be whatever time you start planning for Passover, you get to decide, am I going to host a Seder or am I going to be a guest at Seder's this year? And one year you decide based on, oh, I just started a new job and so I couldn't possibly host. Or a new baby or a new grandparent has moved into the house or you just moved into a new house. Any number of things that you just say, I'm too overwhelmed, I couldn't possibly do a Seder this year. And then other years it's like, oh, you know, everything else is going along pretty smoothly. I want to try and do it this year. Well, Right at the outset, you've made a decision that's going to make Passover easier for you one way or the other. That's just the kind of the first example, but the kinds of questions that I ask in the book and, and that I try and, and asked in the session to try and say, you know, think about this and what's important to you and what's necessary and what's going to help you get through those overwhelming times one of the things I do that makes Passover, has made Passover easier for me over the years is I serve an incredibly simple menu for Seder. You know, you have, there's all the ritual foods that you have to have, but then the meal, I serve far fewer courses and far fewer items than I do at some of my Shabbos meals. And I realized people are so full with all the ritual food and it's such a long night and People just don't need that many choices. So I don't even I don't make soup. You know, we have hard-boiled eggs, we have gefilte fish, a main course with a couple sides. Um, I do always have dessert because my mom had some fabulous Passover dessert recipes. And but that's it. There aren't all those extra things. So again, I've made a choice to make it easier on myself that I'm making, I don't know, six things instead of ten. So the actual planning in your booklet, you suggest sitting down at a table, um, having those questions out and going through and answering the different questions, coming up with lists. I love this verb, calendarizing. I learned that in your booklet for the first time, (laughs) calendarizing your list. And that also sounds like maybe a time-intensive process. Do you know how long that takes? I'm sure it's quicker for you since you do it every single year. But what could a person expect if they wanted to do that method? One of the things I have in the book is a list of every single thing you might need to clean that I could think of no matter what house you live in. The idea being that you could sit down for this planning and you could say, okay, I've decided I'm going to host one Seder and be a guest and go out for Shabbos dinner, but have guests for Shabbos lunch. So you've got a general idea of how much you're cooking and how much you're going out. Okay, now I need to figure out how to clean. So you go through this list and you look at it and say, oh, 
I have two bedrooms, so I have two bedrooms I have to do these things to, but she's got four bedrooms on the list. Oh, great, can cross off those other two. That part's done. It also depends on the complexity of your family. I live alone right now. There aren't a lot of Cheerios strewn all over every room of my house. But I know that for people who have kids, there's a lot more chametz to clean up. So that also enters into how soon do you start and how much does it take to do all that. But you asked about the planning session. I think the planning session in an ideal world could and should go pretty quickly because especially if you haven't done it a lot before, you don't want to or need to agonize over it. It's just like, okay, this is an outline that's going to help me. Well, I think if I work backwards, I want three days to cook, so I want the kitchen done here. I want two days to do the kitchen, so that's back two more days. And I can do, you know, the bedrooms in the living room a week ahead of time and just make sure nobody eats in those rooms anymore. So you just do that kind of quick, sketchy outline, and you can fill in the details when you get there. Because it's also looking at the calendar and going, oh, these two nights I have meetings after work, so I'm not going to do much cleaning then. And so I better plan to do more the two days before. You know, it, it also depends what night is Seder because that depends on when you have to be finished. One thing I really appreciated about the booklet is you are talking to kind of the emotions that come up when you're cleaning, um, how one can often often feel very overwhelmed by a long to-do list or overwhelmed by knowing how much there is to do. And you gave some tips about how to approach that feeling of being overwhelmed. I'm wondering if you could share a few. Well, one thing that helps me with being overwhelmed is, first of all, to break things into smaller parts and not think about, oh, my gosh, I have to do the entire house and every corner in the next three hours, but think, oh, I'm going to do this next and finish that. Oh, I'm going to do this next. And it helps keep you focused on what you're doing It's not as scary and overwhelming about how much there is. And I think the other thing that helps you do is make adjustments as you go along. If you're not already thinking five steps ahead, it's easier to be flexible about making changes. I think the other thing that really helps keep me from being overwhelmed sometimes is to remember why I'm doing it, that this is important to me. It's leading up to something I find joyful and meaningful. And so it's kind of like, okay, this is... Not the exciting part, but it's for a good cause. A couple other things that help me feel less overwhelmed is to plan the work to fit my time, kind of make the best use of my best time. I'm freshest early in the morning, so to plan the things that are harder that I like less for then is helpful. Um, There's one thing uh, in particular in my kitchen that is my least favorite thing to do, I am very fortunate that my boyfriend loves to do it. And so I have delegated covering my counters to him for years. And it's great because it is the thing I dislike the most. He's fine with it. I get help. He gets to do something he likes. I get out of doing something I don't like. And this year he'll be out of town, so I'm stuck doing it. But that's that's the way it goes. 
it can be helpful if I plan out getting everything ready as though I'm not going to have any help at all. And then when I do get help, it's like a bonus. And suddenly I have found time because, oh, I thought I was going to have to spend an hour doing this and look, now it's done. The other piece of that is you can also get something off your list and therefore off your being worried about it by deciding you're not going to do it after all. Most often that's about, I find that's about the menu. My grandmother always made stewed fruit for Passover and I really like it and it takes a long time and it's a hassle to do. So it's been a number of years since I made it because when I start to reach that, oh, there's too much, okay, well, I just won't do the fruit then. Oh, that was easier. That's kind of the point. What can I do? What choices can I make in the moment that will make it easier? So you spoke in the book about things you can do while you're cleaning to kind of lift your spirits and make it feel a little easier. Um, One thing I particularly liked was listening to podcasts while cleaning, which I definitely do. Um, But you talked about going out for a walk, varying your tasks. So maybe you're cleaning for a little bit, then you go out shopping. So the variety keeps it fresh, keeps you from getting too overwhelmed. Um, And one thing I thought you said, which was very cool, is you said that beforehand you should make a list of the rewards that you personally appreciate so that during the moment you don't have to get befuddled and rack your brain to see, well, what can I do to reward yourself? You have the list right there where you can say, okay, maybe I'll like have a little piece of Passover chocolate now (laughs) or something like that. So I was wondering um, what's on your list? How do you reward yourself? What's on my list? Well, very definitely walking around the block because it gets me away from the environment where, you know, when I'm in my house getting ready for Passover, everywhere I look, there's something else to do. And, oh, I should go do that. Oh, I should go do that. No, I really need a moment to rest. Oh, I should go do that. If I walk around the block, I get away from all of those things. So I actually take the break. And Passover is the spring holiday. So to go out there with no particular purpose or, you know, I'm not journeying somewhere, I'm just going around the block, I really notice the crocuses coming up or, you know, these days we have all these bunnies in my neighborhood, the bunnies that are crossing the street. And it gets me out in a way, plus fresh air and ideally sunshine, depending on what it's doing. Um, so I think that's the, the biggest and best break. Um, the other thing that I find in this 21st century, I'm not a huge social media and technological person. I mean, I know how to use things, but I'm a product of my own age. I do find that while I'm getting ready for Passover is one of the times a year when I post on Facebook far more than any other time of year. All of a sudden, I'm, you know, if I'm home cleaning for a whole day, all of a sudden there's four or five, six posts in that day. And I find that's a good release. And then it's amusing because I, most every year I get some question from my non-Jewish friends. What do you mean you foiled the counter? You know, or some, that's, that I'm not sure that's the best example, but I'll talk about something I'm very excited to do. Or I'll post a picture of 
how my kitchen cabinets are crammed full of stuff because I've put everything I possibly can in them before I tape them closed and sell them. And my friends are like, sell what? What are you talking about? Um, it lightens things up. It doesn't change that I firmly believe it's important to also acknowledge that it can be a little ridiculous sometimes. So do you have any last words of wisdom, any phrase, any idea that you would want people to take away? What do I want to leave people? I think when, if I try to summarize it all, I try to look at Passover each year as it's a holiday about freedom. It's a little ironic that it takes so much work to be free. Or maybe it's really fitting that it takes so much work to be free. But since I'm not actually a slave, I can make decisions about how I approach it. And so I can decide I really want to do these extra things even if they're more work because they mean something to me. Or I really can't bear to do these extra things this year, so so I won't. And I'm talking about the extra things. I'm not saying anybody's going to decide I'm just going to have bread all week. Although people might decide that too. Um, but in terms of the observances, there are there's a range of ways that once you sort of met the minimum of getting rid of your chametz, how much more you do is up to you. And that can make it easier. I'll also say that that's a lot easier to say than to do. Um, in the very front of that big Passover book of mine, I have a letter. And it's a letter that I wrote to myself. And I try to read it every year around Purim and every year around Rosh Chodesh Elul, so about a month before the big holidays. And basically what it says is, remember that you have a lot of systems and plans and lists that make it easier, and it's still hard. And you really like doing this, and it's still hard. And it's important to you, and it's still hard. So don't make it harder on yourself by feeling badly that it's hard and by feeling badly that today you're cranky and resentful. And when the day comes that you want to have a good cry, which usually happens once once each year when I'm cleaning and once each year when I'm putting up the sukkah, there's usually you know one good cry involved. Just go for it because it feels much better and easier after that too. So um, I don't think I've reread that letter yet this year. I think I'm due. The Seattle Limudcast was recorded at Full Track Productions in Seattle, Washington. It was produced by Dave Dintenfass and Tamar Labicki with original music by Sergi Feldman. Thanks again to our guest, Linda Jo Greenberg. <laughs>